Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm great, Conrad. Uh, long, we were recording this on Monday morning, just a few hours after I got home from uh, a double or nothing. You know, the funny thing about it is when you get jacked up these shows, and uh, it was, man, you're going to be tired. I was tired. Sometimes you're too tired to sleep. You ever get that way where you're too tired to sleep? I have. Yes, sir. And that was my, uh, my thing, uh, on Sunday night, you know, like the show goes off the air around midnight, four hours, I think it's four hour show. Was it four hours? Yeah. It was a, it was it, a good long show. It was a long show. And you know, here's my, here's me. I didn't even realize I'm thinking the old days of pay-per-view where he's the old days of pay-per-view when I was in WWE, all those years, uh, pay-per-view was generally two hours and 50 minutes. Right. And this baby went four hours and I didn't even know it was going four hours, which is probably a really good thing because I didn't get the, uh, the, uh, apprehensions of what am I going to go pee? Right. When you're doing a high level deal and you're, you, it, we don't do golf, as you know, right. And man, it's just, t- it's tough to maintain that level of enthusiasm because even though the match before may have deserved that accolade. Everybody should get their chance to shine star and so forth. So, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not running on fumes cause I'm still excited about what we did Sunday night, uh, as a team, but boy, it was, uh, what a night. And they, they and, you know, when people are gonna say, what was, what was this, who was the best match and the worst match and thumbs in the middle and thumbs up your ass, whatever it may be. <laughs> uh, the, uh, issue is unequivocally. The MVP of double or nothing or the fans. Yes, sir. Or the fans. It was so good to get back in that world and that environment because it's so motivational. And when you are going to do a four hour pay-per-view little, little tidbits of motivation like that is a big, big asset. So my thanks to the, all the fans that were there, I think we had close to 5,000. Wow. I didn't know a final, final number. I, I was, I did my job and a little after midnight, I'm trying to get out of there and, and, uh, uh, to get home. Sure. And, and then I get home and I can't sleep. So I watched the Mick Foley. Hey, I watched more wrestling for God's sakes. What's wrong with me, Conrad? You got a problem. I have a problem. I think we may need to do a, uh, an intervention or something, but nonetheless, uh, the fans put it over the top. And I always remember that crowd and. It's like they had been waiting forever, Connie. Oh, for sure. You know, and, uh, that's the first thing I noticed about that show. That's my biggest takeaway from it. Certainly not taking anything away from the talents and the matches that we had that we could talk about here, but golly, that, that crowd. And they were, they were crazy, uh, and uh, before we went on the air. Yeah. Uh, you know, the match with, and then of course the, that, uh, match with Serena and Rio. Good match on the yes, pregame show. I don't know if you even saw it. Yeah. They had a great match. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big, big Serena deep fan. I think she offers a lot, brings a lot to the table. Uh, and I love her attitude and her work ethic. It's just her willingness to help others. And then of course we've got the big surprise with Mark Henry, which the segue there is Mark Henry is much the same mindset. He likes helping others. Right. And you know, he's, a, he's got a good eye for talent. And he's coachable 
He likes to mentor. So that was pretty cool. It gives me credence to think that the Friday night show rampage is not going to be a throwaway. It's just not a space space filler, you know? So we'll see how that works out. But I was kind of surprised that, that Mark got out from under the WWE, uh, banner, if you will. And is coming to work with our team. Uh, I, th- I was kind of surprised. What, did you, what, what were your thoughts on that when Tony introduced it? Well, I, uh, I had sort of figured that maybe the fix was in just based on the, uh, relationship that it seemed like busted open had with AEW now. So when they first announced the wild card, I just assumed, especially with Mark Henry posting all of his weight loss photos, I thought, well, here's the deal. He's going to be like the, the mystery guy. Of course that wound up being Leo rush. But either way, we got Mark Henry. So I'm excited about that. I think he's going to be a great brand ambassador. Uh, He can certainly be a great coach behind the scenes, but Mark Henry is just a great dude to have representing your brand. So no matter what else he brings, just knowing that you've got him on your side that way. uh, And obviously you're going to get all the uh, naturally woven in support of busted open now. So I I think it's a home run on all parties. Yeah, I do too. It's a win-win for everybody, I believe. And it also opens the door potentially down the road for Mark to have another match or two. Yeah. You know, he's, it's still, he's still got the itch. It seems to me like, you know, I, I didn't see him all day. So they kind of kept him, uh, sequestered all day. It never leaked, never got out, which I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, but he'll do a real good job there. He's a, he'll be a part of the team on a regular ongoing basis. And in multiple roles is how I understand it. Of course, part of the, uh, rampage broadcast team, which will premiere on Friday, the 13th of, of August, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, anyway, it's going to be fun to have Mark around, but I thought we had a really solid show. I really enjoyed being a part of it. You know, uh, to say that four hours is easy. Somebody's bullshitting you. Right. It's not easy. If nothing else, just for frigging mother nature, you know, that's why you wear darks. I had darks on baby, <laughs> just in case, just in case. So, but it was good. I thought, uh, I thought the matches were, uh, placed in good spots. <laughs> the, uh, I was really surprised. What do we start to show up with? Uh, pay, uh, what was the first match? Hangman Adam Page. Oh, yeah. That surprised the hell out of me. His pop was gigantic. It was huge. Yeah. That cowboy shit thing got, is getting, has got over. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he hasn't been overexposed, you know, on again, off again, kind of a thing, but he's got something. Yes, he does. He's got something. And, uh, I thought he and cage or yeah. Uh, not cage. Yeah. Cage Yeah, had a great match for, for what it was placed to do. And, and where it was on the card, uh, and they had a sh- kind of a short term little angle where, you know, uh, hangman was getting, you know, retribution for a loss after winning 13 straight matches. I thought those guys really delivered. And I saw, I don't know about you, but I was really impressed with the, uh, abilities of, uh, of, uh, Brian cage. Oh, absolutely. That's, he had a great showing. Yeah. Best, best he's had since he's been with us. I think I would agree. So I thought that was a really good opener and, uh, but there's something there with, with page people, people like it. And I thought that was pretty cool. So, uh, 
good worker. He's just been lost in a shuffle a time or two, but he's never quit the, he's always tried to be proactive he, he, when he's numbers called, he plays. Yes, sir. I think, I think that's pretty cool. So, uh, that was that. And, uh, I, I like the, uh, the next match was young bucks, Moxley and, uh, and Eddie Kingston. One of the stars of that match, Conrad, to me was wild thing. Oh, for sure. People love that. Yeah. They recognize it. They can relate to it. It fits Moxie's persona. You know, his entrance was packed with his entrance reminded me a lot of stone cold because he took over. Yeah. He took over the room before he ever got to the ring. And that's uh really cool in my view. Agreed. Uh, so it was good stuff there with Mox. He's just become a huge star with us. You know, he's uh, he's incredible. Uh, and he had fun doing it. You know, he's out of, he wasn't in that AEW world title picture, but it didn't, it didn't affect his, his, uh, desire to outperform everybody on the card. Right. He stood out, man. He stood out. The one thing we wanted to do, and I think we've made a concerted effort to do it. Conrad was to make sure that we allowed the musics that needed to have play breathe yes, and, and not talk over it. So I love the wild thing business. That was one of my favorite movies. Anyway, throw the heater, Ricky, throw the <laughs> heater, Ricky. So, uh, the great scene in that movie is the, the manager, though, the gruff voice standing there naked where the female owner comes in who's being a pain in a keister. That was one of that, I just love that movie. It's just. Sophomore, they're right down my alley, quite frankly. Uh, so, uh, the Moxley, I thought Moxley and Eddie did a, did a nice job. Uh, young bucks had a great outing. Oh yeah. You know, they really did. They had, they showed, it reminded me of this. This is a crazy analogy. Uh, when Shawn Michaels bought the undertaker and held the first hell in a cell. To me, the audience saw a side of Shawn Michaels that equated to toughness yep. and courage, not finesse and just super kicks or the sweet chin music in his case, same deal, by the way. Uh, and I thought that, uh, that's kind of what I saw with, uh, the bucks. They, they, they weathered the storm with the heavy hitting, uh, Kingston and Moxley. They were able to rebound, stay in the hunt, not get pinned, and then finally get to the end and, and, uh, and, and win the match. So they really grew in my eyes. Hey, look, I always knew they're a great team, you know, all this greatest, who's the best, who's the best wrestler and who's the best tag team. And look, everybody should think they're the best. If they got a, if they got a, you know, if it's real, if it's half-assed realistic, right? Well, these guys are good. They adjusted their style and for a team that is one of the best is not the best tag team in the business. They've been together 16 years. They should be pretty damn good. And they are, uh, I thought that was really good. I thought that was really good. And it showed a tougher side of those guys. I thought it was one of their best outings, Conrad. I agree. I, uh, I was happy to see sting back in there too, and get his win. Uh, and I think everybody probably went, Oh, when he took that big suplex on the ramp, but yeah, I did. What a moment, man. It was a, it was a cool night. It was a great night for wrestling. Uh, the crowd went home happy and, uh, man, I was happy to have a crowd to watch on TV. It totally, 
enhance the wrestling experience. It was one of those deals where we didn't know what we had until it was gone, but I appreciate it a lot more now that it's back. Me too, man. Well said. Uh, I thought I would have liked to have had in hindsight, which is easy to evaluate like all, all of us wrestling fans do. We're all, we're big time, smart guys in hindsight. Yep. Uh, I would have loved to have seen more crowd shots. We had that one angle that st- stayed pretty consistent throughout the show. And, uh, I would have liked to have seen, uh, more crowd shots. Ironically, they put those bleachers on the stage, which really squeezes the announcers. There's just hardly no line of separation between the announced position and the folks in those, uh, those bleachers. So, you know, the concern's always going to be, you got to plan for the worst case scenario in these uh, matters that, uh, you know, what's what if somebody gets all, all drunk up on beer, uh, at the stadium or the dailies and they decide they want to do commentary. You know, Shivani's going to whip somebody's ass. I can tell you that right now because <laughs> he's violent. <laughs> Tony was so excited. God bless him. He did a great job too, by the way. He had an Excalibur bow, uh, did a great job. I don't know how Excalibur made it through because it was hot, humid, sticky, and he's in a mask. Oh, that sucks, dude. For four hours. That sucks. Yeah, a little longer than that, actually, because he, he and Tony did the buy-in show. So uh, I admired his uh, work ethic and uh, he stuck in there and it wasn't easy he was he was really it was hot and uh i'm proud of him for what he did how he hung in there he did a good job tony always says great tony was like a small kid at christmas conrad when he he got to go hug brit yeah i thought the hug was a little long no kidding (laughs) (laughs) oh jr knock shivani Hug was too long. That's tremendous. That's good though. I, I, I thought that that's kind of followed up on their story. Yeah. Kind of become this friend thing. And uh, so that was good. Uh, but he did a good job with that. So, uh, the battle Royal went a little long for my taste. Uh, I do like the concept the, with the cards. Yeah. You know, uh, that's different and bringing in, bringing in guys, uh, in a somewhat of a control manner, uh, by their, uh, by their card, you know, their, their, what do you call it? Uh, what's that word I'm looking for Conrad? I'm a little hurt this morning. Uh, you know, the, the card. Oh, oh the, yeah. The, yeah. So the casino battle Royal. So you had to have the different suits. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. suits. That's what yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the idea being there's a new wave of guys instead of individually, I thought right. is a nice twist. And, uh, yeah, it was cool to see, you know, the big surprise Leo rush. I don't think a lot of people would have called that one. So. I sure did what's next. Yeah. Uh, and he, uh, Leo did a nice, I don't know what, what Leo's future is there. I don't know if he's going to be on the team or he's not, or it's a one-off. I have no idea, but I'll say this, you know, I've always said on the show, you know, it's imperative that we maximize our minutes, no matter what we're doing, Yeah. especially in performance art. And I thought Leo delivered well, he had a lot of energy. The boys worked with him. Well, he had a lot of loads of charisma. So, uh, it was interesting. I was, when he was going to, I heard late, late, uh, that he was going to be the surprise. I was surprised, but I was very, I was pleasantly surprised even more that the crowd knew exactly who he was and they liked it. That always helps, man. And that's what you get. Like you're saying, that's what you get with that big, uh, that big crowd. You, you get the chance to find out 
like we talked about, uh, hanging Adam page. I knew Adam page would get a nice pop Conrad, but to that level that you and I've discussed no way in hell. I just, I was very, I mean, he got a, he got a reaction. Like, you know, he's in the main event, a hero's welcome. It was a big time deal. And I'm just glad that wrestling is back, man. And that we got fans, you know, in the stands again. And I mean, we're going to be uh, full capacity. It looks like for the next few shows too. Uh, well, you guys announced two big pay-per-views, one in Chicago and one in St. Louis. And right. we're happy to announce that we're covering mankind part two. It'll be the breakdown of 1997. Uh, we're about to celebrate mix 56th birthday here in a wow. couple of days. So let's pick up where we left off. Uh, many mankind shows up with other minis like Vader and Masquerita Sagrada. what do you think of many mankind, Jim? It was a comedy interlude, you know, on some days on uh, pro wrestling, I'm more tolerable, tolerant, I should say of, uh, comedy. Uh, but, uh, I didn't have any major issues with, it. I thought it was kind of cute. It was an homage to Mick. And so anytime that can be facilitated, it's probably a good deal. So no issues with me with it. It's just, you know, you don't want a steady diet of it, but, uh, sporadic use. Timely use, no problem whatsoever. I, uh, I loved it. I thought it was a fun deal. And, uh, we started to see him a lot around the Royal rumble. Speaking of the Royal rumble, it's in Santonio, Texas. He's going to eliminate Rocky Maivia and Terry Funk before the undertaker eliminates, uh, eliminates him. But I gotta say, it's probably uh, a little bit of a thrill for the fan inside the mankind character, Mr. McFoley to be working with Terry Funk in Texas on a WWF pay-per-view that had to be something he was excited about. Yeah. Uh, one of those special moments because those of us that know mix, uh, true feelings toward Terry, it's uh, like a father son thing. Uh, and Mick learned so much from Terry over the years. Terry's a great mentor. He's like Mark Henry is going to be an AEW. He's going to be a great mentor to these kids. Mark is the age. He's almost 50. Uh, he likes coaching and coaching them up. And Terry always enjoyed coaching up Mick and talking to him. God damn you, Mick. You can't do that. Or I'll sink my brother Dory on your ass. But he was, a uh, that was a, that's a special relationship. And by the way, it still is still is. And, uh, but I, I enjoy, I think you're right. Mick probably look back at that day as one of his favorite days on the job. Mankind starts to be phased down and transition to a tag team wrestler. He's going to be teaming with Vader to take on Owen and Davey boy for the tag titles at his first WrestleMania. Of course, that's WrestleMania 13. It's probably everybody's dream. Uh, especially in that era to work on a WrestleMania. And at this point he's years deep in the business as cactus Jack, and he's been everywhere, WCW, ECW, Japan. And now he finds himself here at WrestleMania, but it's in a tag match and he's not exactly a tag wrestler. No. Is that, I mean, is it still exciting? Do you think uh, on his behalf? Hey, I'm finally at a WrestleMania or is it a little disappointing that damn kind of wish it was as a singles. Well, I'm sure he did wish it as a single, Yeah, but I think the, the thrill of being at WrestleMania and being on the card and being on television, uh, in kind of an all-star ensemble cast, you know, Davey and Owen were pretty well 
you know, made that they're on the hall of fame list to see him at that point in time, uh, Vader hall of fame guy. So he was surrounded by very, uh, stellar company, but I think that uh, Mick was probably just thankful to be there. That's the kind of guy he is. But if, if you, if you do the deep dive, he probably would like to have been in a singles match. That's what he was. He was a singles wrestler, but he was booked Conrad. He was booked and he earned a WrestleMania payoff. And I think that would trump anything that, uh, that Mick would be thinking he's going to get a nice payday out of finally working at WrestleMania. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Well, unfortunately, he doesn't win the tag titles. Owen and Davey Boy retained. They went to a double countout with Vader and Mankind. 16 minutes and 8 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would say this was a good match with a lame non-finish, which served to ask the question what the purpose of the match was, since neither team even teased the turn. Uh, Mankind got the mandible claw on Smith. As Vader kept Hart from making the save, he knocked Hart into Mankind, and both Mankind and Smith tumbled to the floor for the double countout. Two and a half stars. You know, this, I understand Dave asking, Hey, what's the point of this? But at the same time, the point of this is let's get as many guys a WrestleMania payday as we can. First and foremost. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And and you got four good men paydays that all contributed during the year and uh, deserve to be on that show. I'm not crazy about the finish either. Uh, I don't, unless you're returning it, unless you got a long-term program that you've got planned and you need another brick in the wall as pink Floyd might say, and gets you down the road a little farther to continue this storyline. I can, I can understand a double count out, but I really, uh, it, but only if that's the only way. And I, I, I challenged bookers and creative types to make sure that, you know, uh, you, you don't have to, you, you, we're protecting people from, from what? There's going to be more reaction from the audience if there's a winner and a loser and not a double count out. Right. It's swimming upstream, so to speak, and uh, unnecessary. But be that as it may, that's the only downside I can see of that situation. If they'd had a hot finish, uh, that match would have, would have got another star or so, I think, on the, on the Meltzer scale, if that matters to people. So uh, I, I didn't like the finish. But I like the fact all those guys are getting payoffs and getting on the show. It gets a little confusing because after this match, they announced that mankind is the new number one contender for the WWF championship. Now I understand that a little bit based on the history, uh, especially from 1996 with the whole saga that undertaker had with mankind, but to go from challenging for a tag title to the very next night we're the number one contender. And the reason we yep. did it is because we've got revenge of the taker. And so revenge of the taker, you would think it's a, in your house named after your new world champion, the undertaker, but Steve Austin and Bret Hart go on last, not taker and mankind. Did Vince at this point 
see Taker as an attraction who still, even though he was the champ, didn't really need the belt, but perhaps Steve Austin and Bret Hart needed that main event spot. Well, I think what he saw was we knew what we had with Brett. Brett was, was gold plated. Austin continued to evolve. This is more about Austin and that booking you're referring to Conrad than it is about anybody uh, else feelings about undertaker. Had he lost this, you know, I don't know what you, I don't think you'd make a guy your champion. If you think he's lost a significant, uh, uh, sizzle and the pop in the ring, but I think this is more Austin oriented decision than anything else. It doesn't make sense that, uh, you're going to have your number one contender get counted out in a tag match. It, I mean, I, I know it's been done, but it's not the most advantageous thing for taker. You'd want, why wouldn't you want Mick to get a, a, a win in this match by hook or crook and then set him up to have some momentum going into his next outings with the champion, the undertaker. To me, that makes a lot more sense than uh, having a, a benign, a Geneva Switzerland type finish. This didn't work, but, uh, I think that's the, the, the Brett and look, we knew what we were going to get with Brett and, and Steve, it was going to be like a coming out party for Austin. Yeah. And, 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 and Brett was the guy that could make that happen. And he did for God's sakes and Austin did the job and Brett wins the match and and, and the launch is on for stone gold. He's, he's a made man at that point. So, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, I think that Mick, uh, should have probably in, in the one number one contender scenario that you're referring to, I think I would have had Mick go over in that tag match to set him up better, with better momentum and better, you know, just better prepared to wrestle the champion. Let's talk about that match. The uh, main event. Well, it probably should have been uh, undertaker mankind and in your house takers revenge undertaker gets the win in seventeen twenty six to retain and boy, Mick Foley put on a show Meltzer would say really good, largely due to the performance of mankind who took some hard bumps and took his key bump at the perfect time. Mankind got the water pitcher from Vince McMahon's desk and broke it over undertaker's head and followed with a hard chair shot. It was pretty clear they were going for hard way juice, but either undertaker didn't end up getting cut. Or if he was, it wasn't noticeable enough on television. Although the announcers did say there was a cut mankind dropped the elbow off the middle rope to the floor and undertaker's bandage came off revealing an ugly scab from the fire angle. Mankind took the bump where he wound up hanging himself in the ropes, which is the spot where he lost part of his ear in the first place. Undertaker pulls the mask off revealing, well, we all know who he is, but then they're using ring steps and an incredible header bump through the Spanish announce table, a big choke slam, a tombstone. They're pulling out all the spots here and it, it looks like they're trying to, uh, well, let me just read the, the, the write up here. It appeared. The idea was for mankind to throw fire at undertaker who would pull Paul bear in the way and he'd get burned. They set the spot up twice, but both times mankind's lighter didn't work and they blew the spot <laughs> at this point. It was all impromptu time as undertaker made a comeback and got the lighter and the flash paper and wound up throwing the fire in bear's face three and three quarter stars. So a home run effort and performance by Mick Foley. And then the damn Gaga afterwards is what people are going to be talking about. Of course, yeah, the aftermath and the violence. 
the uniqueness of it. Uh, Mick and Taker had great chemistry. They had great respect for each other. I think they still do. Obviously, you know, uh, I, I got home, uh, last night, as I mentioned earlier, actually this morning. And I, uh, I guess I needed more wrestling. That's sick. As we said earlier, I need intervention, but, uh, taker has been such a vital part of so many careers. And that happens when you're great and you're in main event scenarios and you, and you got tenure takers tenure. He's had a lot of t- opportunities to make people and he's every time out, he's done it, done the best he could and, uh, makes people better than they actually are. So, uh, I, I just, I love their chemistry and, uh, you know, it's, it was awful hard. I heard taker on that biography say, you know, that the helmet cells were much talked about, but nothing more talked about than the one in 1998 yeah. in Pittsburgh when uh, Taker got dumped Mick off the top of the cell. And, uh, I, I, I often, I often look at that in amazement because it's hard to believe that, that, that Lawler and I were sitting so close to Mick's crash area, right? You can reach out and touch it. Uh, so this funny little things that pop out, you know, we're that close and hearing, uh, the mixed body strike that table. And then I, I used to kid about, uh, and the concrete floor broke his fall. So that's kind of, but that's Mick, man. He's courageous. He's fearless, but Taker brought the best out in, in him and, and, and punch stamp Mick as a main event guy. And that was invaluable to pull his career going forward. His interactions in the early days of his characters, uh, with the undertaker. I know that you've been around for all of his WCW craziness, you know, jumping off the apron onto the concrete with the elbow and all that jazz. But now that you're sort of assuming different roles, you're no longer quote unquote, just the announcer. You've also got some, some talent duties behind the scenes. Are you still approaching him after some of these stunts and saying, Mick, we don't need that. What's that look like? Well, you know. It's hard to correct things that have already happened. Right. Uh, he had no filter Conrad. He just, uh, he always wanted to please the fans. He always wanted to do more for the guy that he was working with. Mick was a very unselfish performer. So, uh, but yeah, we, we'd have those conversations and, you know, it's like the one that Vince had with him after the hell in a cell will never, ever come close to doing this again. Now, whether that's true or not, you know, we saw Shane take some crazy ass chances Yeah, and every year somebody tries to outdo mixed bump. I don't know why. I don't know what, what it proves. Uh, it's not logical and the risk reward, uh, quotient is out of balance. So yeah, I talked to Mick several times about that. You know, I just didn't need he, Sometimes he would do too many things. You keep taking big chances somewhere along the way. You're going to get your ass blown up. Yeah. And, and, and so limit your chances, limit, eliminate as many of these opportunities to, to put yourself in a hospital or affect your career going forward. So, uh, but he, he, I don't want to say he didn't listen. I, I, I know that Mick appreciated the concern that we all had for him, especially me. Cause you know, uh, I, I put my reputation on the line to get him hired. Right. 
in, my, in the very formative times of my time as the uh, head of talent relations. And so, uh, I don't know. I, but he couldn't convince him to, to he only had one style Conrad, you know, I, I, I said this before on here, you know, you, these guys are like wild horses, like Mustangs or something. They're meant to be run, let to run loose in a, in a, in a pasture or on property. And, uh, and that's, you can't put a bit in their mouth and pull them back and, and then be happy or to give you their best work. And with that comes a price that you have to be prepared to make, uh, if that does occur. So, but he, he would listen. He would thank me for the concern or anybody else that was sticking to him, but it wasn't going to matter. He's a, he's a wild horse. He's going to run. Well, let's talk about what's next after the match. Um, we're scheduled to be programmed against Sid, but Sid is dealing with an injury at the time and wind up, winds up leaving the company. And we can do a whole episode about Sid and I'm, and I'm sure we will at some point, but was this around the same time that he had some lingering issues from that car wreck with furnace and the fine or all those, or is this one of those head scratchers where you wonder, is it softball season? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Well, something I don't know. Sid was a very active, uh, participant in the, uh, softball leagues there in the Memphis area. He, uh, he enjoyed playing the game. I don't really know this many years afterwards. Uh, I would say if I had to make a educated guess, Conrad, the, the head scratcher thing might be where I would land. Yeah. Uh, Sid had some injury issues. He had a lot of start, stop, start and stops, uh, unfortunately. And I'm sure not all of them were his fault. Probably most of them weren't hell. I don't know, but, uh, we had to call some audibles and that's the great thing about Mick. He was ready to go. Well, we're uh, going to talk about what's next. We should mention though, that his, his contract status is in jeopardy, at least according to the observer, it's written on the May 5th edition that Mick's contract was due to expire and he hasn't signed a renewal and his deal isn't due until the fall. But it feels like that means he was originally signed to, I guess what we might call a short-term deal, 18 months or so. Does that sound right? When he first, yeah, maybe in? two years, maybe I don't remember the exact dates, Conrad. That's sure. too much minutia for that. And that too many months ago, but I mean, look, I was lucky to get him hired. There was no, uh, well, we're going to do three years or five years or whatever. Let's just get his ass a Jersey. And get him on the team, get him in the locker room, let everybody see what he can do. Cause he was so motivated to, to run with this opportunity. Uh, and that's, I always appreciated that of him. So, uh, but I think maybe the, the Sid thing, it was just a matter of, uh, sometimes I think Sid his tolerance for the travel and his tolerance for the business in general at times were not his strong suit. They were not his cup of tea. So, uh, and you wonder, you know, instead of Sid had been able to stay healthy and stay on, on active consistently, how great he could have been and how much money he would have drawn, how much more money he would have drawn if that had been able to occur. 
I guess what I wanted to ask about was, did you guys eventually get to a place where you would say, you know, or, or Vince would say, Hey, as a rule of thumb, you know, if we're going to bring a guy in, we need to sign him for at least I'm freestyling three years because it's going to take us a year to figure out what the hell to do with him. And then hopefully, you know, blah, blah, blah. Was there some sort of method to the madness in terms of contract length back then that you guys fell into like a new normal as a rule of thumb, we'll do this or not so much. I don't think so much. I think, uh, you know, what turned the table for Mick, uh, is McMahon sneaking into the studio and watching us do that interview. We did that sit down with he and I, where he ended up giving me the mandible claw. I'm still not over Conrad. I'm sure he's traumatic. I'm upset about it right now. Uh, I'm glad I'm wearing darks again. Sure. No kidding. Uh, no, I short term deal. Look, we're going to know. First of all, Vince didn't want to hire him as we, we worn that out. We only give him a chance to, to let me see what it's like to have my heart broken by somebody that I really, uh, had high expectations for. And I personally had made an emotional investment with, with, in, uh, but I, I think we, our th- thought was if we're going to get anything out of Mick, we'll know within the two, around the two year, two years, at least two years. We should know with, by then what we got, is he going to be a baby face? Is we thought he was always going to be a heel. I, I signed him because I wanted him to work with the undertaker, right? I needed a six foot, four inch heel to match up with a seven foot baby face. Just do the frigging math. It, you know, undertaker need to be put in jeopardy. The baby face cannot survive unless they have a viable heel that puts that said baby face in jeopardy puts him in the deep water and tries to drown him. And so, uh, that's how I look at that scenario with Mick. If we can't figure something out for him in two years, then the self fulfilled fulfilled prophecy comes true. He just didn't have it to make it to WWE, which we all know was not true. Let's uh, talk about the next pay-per-view match. It's a cold day in hell and uh, mankind's going to take on the rock. Uh, mankind gets the win in eight minutes and 46 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would write match with no heat after a shoulder breaker, my via signals to the crowd for his finisher. And there was little reaction and even some booing. He went up for the flying body press, but mankind reversed the move rolling with it and winding up with the mandible claw for the submission. Good finish during the match. They almost played down my via's unsuccessful reign as intercontinental champion. With Ross saying that, that, that the night Maivia beat Helmsley, that the better man didn't win that night wow. a star in a quarter. So it feels like the company is, uh, maybe they don't know what they have in the rock. Maybe the rock doesn't know what he has, but an interesting comment in hindsight, the better man didn't win that night. Well, rock wasn't ready at that point in time. We were force feeding him down people's throats. And it wasn't working. They're regurgitating it right back at us. Right. When we slowed down that, uh, ridiculous push, there's that word, Connie, uh, you know, he, he just, we knew he was special, but we're, we're trying to, again, force feed rock and people were not buying it. That's when the business started changing his personality a little bit. Fans were more outspoken. They have more information. Uh, and they could form their own opinions based on the information that they were able to secure. So, uh, 
and I'm trying to protect their top heel. Right. And, uh, you know, there's, you serve a lot of masters here. Would, would a JR do that to kiss Hunter's ass? Did you do that to make Vince happy? No, I'm not, I'm not kissing ass. I'm doing business. Right. And my job as a broadcaster is to, is even the guys that lose, you've got to give them something or if not, it, it, it uh, deletes from the effectiveness of the, uh, of the, of the loss and the win both sides. So both sides have got to be serviced. Both sides got to be taken care of. And that's all I was trying to do. Triple H was a proven commodity at that point in time. Yeah. He was beginning to come into his own as our, our, our as our top heel. And, uh, even though Vince would take that spot eventually as Mr. McMahon, but tri- we knew triple H was going to be a player, a big time player, a multi-time champion. And he was, uh, and king of the uh, ring. Uh, I mean, he's about to win king of the ring. Everybody. Knows yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's just a matter of maintenance and making sure everybody's got a little love. A little dude love, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's keep it going here. Uh, Foley wrote in his book at the time of this match, he commented to someone that maybe their company should cut their losses and move on from Maya via. What do you think? I mean, obviously that didn't happen and we know the rock's going to catch fire and become the biggest, biggest movie star in the world. But was that sort of the consensus that, Hey, he's just not ready. Do you think anybody thought Maybe it's not just a case of being ready. He just doesn't have it. Oh my God. No rock. Not have it. Are you shitting me? Of course he had it. Conrad. He just was his skill set Wasn't to the level of his charisma and his look and all those things. That's my take on it. Now, uh, I would totally disagree with Mick about cut our losses. I don't know that that was ever considered the presentation that we had provided Mick or excuse me, that we have provided for the rock, which led to die, Rocky die chance for this new baby face that we were pushing, uh, was not good. And that was, that was a matter of presentation that had more to do with the, the, the production and the booking and the creative than it did with rock in my view. Uh, but no, nobody, at least in my, it came in my purview ever said, you know, JR, you might need to get rid of that kid. Are you kidding me? Shit. I knew he was a star the minute I had lunch with him in, in Davie, Florida back in the day. So there's no reason to even think that for me, but it is, it's a logical question for you, but I never, I never, I don't think that was ever on the agenda. So Goldust has these vignettes at the time, uh, with him appearing out of character and he's talking about dusty Rhodes and his actual daughter and his real life relationship with Marlena. When this happens, how do you guys decide we should maybe give that treatment to mankind? Well, you know, Mick was very vignette friendly because right. he was a hell of a performer and it worked for Dustin and Dustin's a hell of a performer. Uh, it lets you look peek a little bit behind the curtain of these individuals. Uh, you know, I'm sure that. You know, we tried to explain that, you know, Goldust didn't go to Publix in, in, in costume, right? You know, they probably let him go through the 10 items or less aisle with 30 items, just to get rid of his ass. <laughs> so, uh, but it was just, a, 
it seemed to be the best way to go. There was a growing interest in tell me more about mankind, right? Tell me more about who this person is. What's the best way to do that? Well-produced vignettes. Uh, you know, I, I look at that interview that Mick and I did as sort somewhat of a, uh, of that, you know, uh, it's just people want to know more about Mrs. Foley's baby boy. That's right. And all of a sudden now they make an emotional investment in this character that they understand much better. And you, in today's marketplace, especially today, you can't just throw a guy out there and without treatment, you got to have, he's got to have a, a, a solid foundation and a part of the creation of a solid foundation is to provide more information about who this dude is or how, who this, uh, what how this woman is, whatever it may be. So that's always been the bitch of the interesting for the last several years when the information flow has become more prevalent is, you know, I want to know more about this person, right? Why aren't they doing vignettes and, and the fans are aware that doing vignettes well helps the talent. Right. And that's really what we're there for. Right. I mean, we're there to help the talent get over Yeah, and vignette, vignettes is just one avenue of, uh, of how to achieve that. So, and, and Mick was so smart. Look, he's writing a book and he's, you can tell he's very intelligent. He's got a great sense of the business. He understands his character. He understands his audience. And so, uh, it just made sense at that point in time. Now I'm not going to tell you that. When we sat down that little dark studio there in the 120 Hamilton in Stanford, that uh, we knew greatness was upon us. We're just trying to get Mick on TV, right? And explain who the hell he is a little bit better. But nobody knew that 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 particular piece of business was going to be uh, as everlasting as it is. You know, when I made that call in '98, I didn't realize people to this very day are still quoting what I said, right? You don't think that when you're doing it, right? You know, it's a, it, so, but anyway, uh, that's kind of what we did there with that. It just wanted to make sure that Mick had a chance to audibly explain who he was and hopefully through that explanation, the audience would give or care more about him. And it obviously worked. Was there, you know, a driving force behind these vignettes? Do you remember a, a certain producer or a member of creative really pushing for it and you know, arguing it should have TV time. Uh, that's my phone Conrad. They're calling to get your feedback on the show. Yeah. I'm a little bit busy right now, pal. Or perhaps you have a, a need for an extended car warranty and they're calling from the (laughs) dealer services. The sneaky bastards. I like the ones that come in on your phone. that says, uh, possible solicitor or possible, whatever. Yeah. Potential spam for all the folks out there to have my phone number. If you're not in my phone and you call me, I'm not going to answer. Do you answer your phone? If you don't know who it is, I do. I guess you have to, because of mortgage business. I'm a salesperson. Yeah, I have to, you are a salesperson. So, uh, I don't know where we were, but nonetheless, uh, I don't know if anybody specifically spearheaded it. I know that the content was Mick and me because I knew the story. I just wanted, we had to figure out the best way to convey that his story to our television audience. Right. And again, keep our fingers crossed that it's that the points that we were making stuck. Uh, but 
I, I'll tell you, I would say that Vince is probably the driving force. Okay. Uh, it's been a big turnabout. Well, it's worth a try type deal. Well, when the old man says it's worth a try, everybody buys in. Right. And, uh, so, but that studio, well, there's like, I mean, there was hardly anybody there. It was done after work. As I recall, skeleton crew was on hand after they'd gone home for the day. A lot of them, we were in a little bitty isolated studio. Uh, but Vince was probably this one that blessed it. Well, okay. Give it a try. See what you can get out of. And that's what we did. And that's, and you know what we got out of it was pretty good. Uh, yeah, let's talk about it. You wrote in your book, my life in wrestling regarding these vignettes quote, going in, all we knew was two things. The first was the overarching question we wanted to cover. How do you go from being a long Island educator son to a scarred sadistic lunatic who rips <laughs> out his own hair before mauling people. The second was the ending. Everything else was, uh, was on the fly, you know, talking about these vignettes in particular, you said it was, you know, after work one day, describe the set to us. Is it simply you Vince, uh, Foley, a cameraman? Is it a full cast of characters? What's that look like? We didn't know Vince was going to be there. Conrad. Okay. We had no idea. He wasn't booked to be there. Or he said, don't start till I get there type deal. Nothing, none of that. Right. We had, we didn't, we did no rehearsal. We, we discussed thoroughly. I guess that could be considered a rehearsal. The ground we wanted to cover. We had a beginning a middle and the end to our story. The beginning was what it was. The end was JR getting a mandible claw and this sadistic, unpredictable dude, uh, you know, taking liberties with good old lovable JR. Who has not a controversial bone in his entire body, <laughs> not a one, not a nary a one ladies and gents. So, uh, so we knew the, the beginning, the middle and the end, like every great story has got to have, we established what the end, we, we knew our finish and what the finish is going to be. And, uh, some of the crew, uh, did the screens and stuff, but that was unsolicited. They just did it because it fit and it made sense. And. I don't, I'm not so sure that some of them were totally smart, but, uh, this, that's where the famous line that came from Vince, where we, we got to a certain stopping point in our beginning, middle and end. And we hear this voice is unmistakably Vince saying, this is good shit. So at that point, Nick's made, right? He's just sold the old man. He's, he's, uh, I don't know what he, what his thoughts would be if you asked him today, but at that point in time, Conrad, he had turned the corner because he got the blessing of the most powerful man in all of pro wrestling. And, uh, so Vince being there was a surprise, pleasant surprise. And then when we were done, he was ecstatic. He saw then what I felt because he wasn't familiar with, with Mick to any degree, you know, Vince doesn't watch other wrestling shows. You've heard that from a lot of guys. I'm yeah. sure yeah. Bruce, all those guys will tell you the same story. He's not going to go and watch more wrestling. Like I did this morning at three o'clock. Uh, so, uh, that was a big deal. That was a real big deal, but the crew was, we had, we had, uh, I don't know if we were sitting on a couch. seems like we we're sitting on a small, like a little love seat type deal, but I can't recall hundred percent, but something like that. We needed to be able to facilitate him attacking me at the end and doing that off one set of furniture probably was most logical. 
it's just a little studio, nothing. It was all we it purposely was darkened. The macabre, the atmosphere needed to be such that it would fit the, what we perceive the persona of mankind should be. And then we, we rock and roll from there. So just one of those good days where you feel good about what you're doing. And it goes to show you that if you have the feel for your content, that you can do it without a Z in rehearsals, without having writers, write script. We had no writer, write Nothing. Right. How do we imagine? How do we do that? Well, we did the same way that wrestlers did it for generations and generations. We went on our instincts and we went on what felt right for the piece of business that we were trying to transact. So it was pretty cool. Did you know when you sat down? We're going to try to make him a baby face here. Or did you assume since he's going to attack you at the end? No, he's coming away an even bigger heel. He's attacking the announcer. We wanted him to be unpredictable. Okay. We wanted to try to continue to peel the, on- the onion back to find out what makes this dude tick. And so we wanted to leave the piece with some definitive content. He's crazy. He's unpredictable. He tried to hurt OJR with that deadly mandible claw that was uncalled for, but we also wanted to leave it with more questions that remain unanswered. So our story could continue. So I think that, uh, those interview, that interview was just basically the launch. And I'll tell you, we had no, just no idea. We had not planned for it to be a two-parter. I think it's two parts. Uh, if I'm, my memory serves it correctly, we just perceive that. Hey, look, if we get one good vignette out of this thing and get that on television, we're going to be ahead of the game, but Vince liked it so much. It was a multi-part, uh, installment and it got, and it did great ratings because people get, were getting new information and we're finding out more about this guy that many were familiar with the hardcore fans were familiar with, uh, you know, guys like you and me have been familiar with it. You know, I, I saw Mick first in, uh, Dallas or world-class, I believe it would have been for world-class obviously. Uh, and then, you know, Vince didn't watch world-class, right? He might've, he might've saw a clip of the dingo warrior at some point in time. Uh, but no, man, it was a, looked to be a one-off deal. I, I felt just lucky had our fingers crossed that we got it on the air and we not only got it on air, we got it on air multiple times because it was a, it was a piece that went through the whole system. It was on every show. And, uh, so, but the, we were playing it. We were, we're just feeling it out as we went, you know, it wasn't like doing a movie where, right. you know, you got this huge crew and all we have, maybe we had one cameraman, I believe. And we had, uh, the lighting was what it was. As I mentioned, the set was not elaborate. It was meant to fit the darkness, symbolizing the darkness of, of mankind. What makes this guy tick? Right. And, uh, I thought we did a, we had a successful, uh, production. A lot of people, a lot of good people were involved and the editing of it was great. Uh, you know, just, it became a team effort because you, you saw right away that Mick had this potential and this affinity for, uh, not only him doing nice things for people and being cooperative and professional, but that then all of a sudden he wins, wins the crew over and now the crew wants to help because they like Mick. Mick was easy to work with. He was on time. He was prepared all the things that they have to deal with on a semi-regular basis when talents 
who can't tell time to show up when they feel motivated with some lame ass excuse why they weren't on time. Let's talk about the vignettes from Dave Meltzer's standpoint. He says they did an absolutely fantastic interview segment with mankind, revealing him as Mick Foley, showing high school pictures of him saying he used to be cactus Jack and totally turning him babyface. They're going to show clips of his winning the king of the death match tournament in Japan next week. And, uh, of course on the second part, dude, love is introduced Jim. When he's telling that story, did you have any idea that, Hey, maybe we'll explore that as a character. Or did you just think it was part of his backstory backstory? Yeah. Backstory primarily didn't realize that there Mick was like a wrestling centipede. He had many legs. Yeah. He had many personalities. The three faces of Foley was real. And, uh, all those personalities were, had their own uniqueness and their own personality traits. But yeah, you know, we're just thinking, you know, golly, this guy's, we just weren't sure. Right. We weren't sure what we had. The intent was never to turn him baby face. So and I'm saying that, and it doesn't mean that we failed because some people like Meltzer thought that we had turned him baby face. That's what we were doing. I don't see it that way. I disagree with that. All we were doing was going inside the mind of a very complex character. If there are things about his childhood, his dad was a coach. He grew up on long Island, he hitchhiked to the garden. You know, he got, he had to go up the hard way around to get trained and the sacrifices he had to make. He had no money. Right. Uh, so, uh, we just want to, it's one of those things where I think it's the best booking of all, because you allow the audience to make their own declaration. I like this guy. I want to see him win or I respect this guy, but I want to see somebody whip his ass. Right. And, uh, but there was a story being the story. Next story had never been told after all those years of wrestling, that story had never been told Conrad. So it, it was, a, it was, a un, un, uh, plowed ground, shall we say down the farm. So I, I think that Mick was just had so many layers, so many facets to his story. And like I said, Vince saw that and was smart enough to give it a multiple airing on, uh, and place well on, uh, on, uh, on the raw and so forth. So it was, a it was an adventure and it was a lot of experimentation, but luckily for us, it got over. So the crowd starting to react to mankind more and more as a baby face on live events and whatnot, because of these interviews with Jim and he gets pushed separately from Paul bear and we get to King of the ring and uh, the second biggest feud for mankind begins. It's Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Of course, the feud with the undertaker sort of put him on the map here in the company, but now it's time for the Hunter feud. Uh, he winds up defeating Jerry Lawler earlier in the night. So he's in the finals against triple H. And of course, triple H beats mankind to win King of the ring. Of course, this is one year later than originally we thought Hunter would win it, but that's all because of the curtain call, which we've discussed. And of course, a year after this at King of the ring, well, Foley's going to make his own kind of history, but that's another story for another day. But China hits mankind in the back of the head with the scepter and triple H plants him with the pedigree through a table. Uh, this feels like. We definitely have our next big feud. What was it about Hunter 
that made the perfect opponent for mankind. Chemistry. And, and Hunter was smart. He knew what he had there. He had a, he had an opponent that had those centipede legs where he could get more than one match out of him. Uh, but they had good chemistry. You know, look, both guys from the Northeast, both guys grew up on WWWF, you know, uh, Mick was, a kind of a Bruno, uh, Dominic DiNucci kind of guy. Yeah. But, and of course, Hunter was a Kowalski guy that, so they kind of had the same philosophies taught them when they were young. Uh, but it was easy to see that triple H is going to be a player. He just is very smart. And, uh, and you know, so his detractors say, oh, he was calculating. You know, show me one wrestler that's not calculating that's made any money. You got to look out for yourself. You got to look out for your own casting. They're cast into a role and your, your job is to accept the casting and deliver. And triple H always did that. So I thought, you know, he was, uh, he, he, I used to say this maybe to, to him in private, but he, his work reminded me a lot of uh Harley race. Yeah. You know, he, he Hunter was influenced by the right people. And I think that helped him, uh, mold his, his in-ring persona, but Hunter and Mick just had, they had good chemistry. They seemed to get along, along well enough to do their match and in delivering a big main event level way. So, uh, anyway, that was, that was, a a nice marriage and they had several main events on pay-per-view. Let's continue to, uh, break down the interview because we know the end of this series of interviews with you has fully flip your hat off and give you the mandible claw. You know, you knew that going in when it's done, you've heard Vince McMahon say, or you told us Vince McMahon said that's such great shit, or this is great shit or whatever. Yeah. Were you happy with it? I mean, you've told us before just in sort of tongue in cheek fashion that he, he gave you a working claw, which was nice, but <laughs> yeah. when it's done, did you think, man, we hit a home run there. Can you feel it in the moment? Yeah. I felt pretty good about it. And I felt even better when Vince, uh, signed off when the big boss falls in love with the character. just like I'd fell, fallen in love with Nick before. Uh, so my heart was far from broken and I'm glad thankful. It, it really boded well for me, quite frankly, in my career, because Vince saw that I had decent product knowledge and judgment regarding evaluating talent yeah. and seeing things in talent. Uh, I, we didn't just bring Mick in because, uh, we had these great long-term plans. We did not, we did not. So, uh, but luckily he took the ball when he got the opportunity and ran with it. But Vince's signing off on it was the deal maker. That's what, that's what closed the deal. And about that time, I do believe that these vignettes was, uh, was had a positive influence Conrad on Foley's contract negotiations. Cause we saw, we got us a player here, right? He's far exceeded our expectations and we'll continue to do so as long as we market him well. And now that we've started, we found out who he is. All these things we can market him very well. And the fact that we had three potential TV characters out of this deal was even better. 
let's talk about, uh, you know, the reactions from him. Uh, and, and I guess we should mention, uh, that we can confirm what you said. Mankind's going to verbally agree to a five-year extension. That's going to keep him around through November, 2002. At this point, you know, we're still knee deep in the, uh, sort of Monday night war era, but he probably has very little interest in going the WCW having been there twice before. When you have to sign, you don't have to, but when you do sign him to an extension like this, is this one of those big downside deals or not so much? Uh, fair money, but it was never about the downside WWE. That's the difference at that point in time. And our, our, our contract structure, uh, you know, I, I've said this many times, same, I, it's same story with Conrad, with Ray Mysterio, same story with Chris Jericho. I was up front saying, I can't pay you the downside. So now you're on salary, right? You know, I don't want no friggin' uh, salesperson on, uh, on, uh, that's not on commission at some level. You've got to motivate your sales staff that the more they produce, the more money they make. Yes. Uh, you have to, you know, I get a kick out of some of these car car ads where they say, uh, our salesmen are not paid commission. You'll not be hassled. You'll not be harassed. It'll be a, a wonderful buying experience. Bullshit. There's always a gimmick. And I have to be cynical. <laughs> there is There's always a gimmick, man. Uh, a proverbial box of gimmicks. Yeah. So, uh, but, but, but Mick was, uh, we saw at that point in time that he, he was, Mick was looking for security and the fact that his downside was his downside, entry-level downside. Of course not. Uh, he, he was making the downside was cool, but that became a moot point. The point was you're going to make a lot more money if you're out there on the road at these house shows and you're in a good spot. It's not a guarantee. It's about what you can earn, uh, through the payoffs, whether it be pay-per-view or television tapings, or obviously the live events. So, uh, you know, we just, the downside was something that we, I had a hard time with some talent selling it because they didn't believe me when I told them that they would be making more money if they stayed healthy yeah. and sane and stayed on the road. It had, they had, I had to, I had to prove it to them. And, uh, you know, Chris Jericho and I were talking, uh, Sunday before the, uh, double or nothing show, he's such a bright light and helping understand creative and, and things of that nature, because let's be honest, Jericho was a creative driving force for the kind stadium stampede. He's the booker, so to speak. So I always try to pick his brain a little bit without him divulging too much of it to me. So I could still be surprised and spontaneous and real. Right. Uh, I said, man, signing, you know, I had, I had, if, if Jericho didn't have the angst toward the WCW management and the, that brand rightly or wrongly, uh, that motivated him to want to come to us. He wanted out of that, that atmosphere or what that's worth. I'm not knocking Eric and all those guys. Yeah. Jericho had kind of burned out. Yeah. He saw he wasn't getting a, he wasn't getting a push. There it is. Conrad got to get Other that push. Got to get the push. So, uh, and so when I talked to him, uh, I know I, I met with him and Jerry Briscoe and it's funny how you remember these places like, uh, 
the Bombay Bicycle Club. That's where we had lunch uh, in Tampa. And uh, Jerry went with me, and Jerry was always such a great help, really a good man, and the boys respected the hell out of him as they should. Uh, so, uh, but that's the one thing we had to address, and I, I hit it head on with it. I can't pay you what you're you're getting paid now, but you can earn a lot more if you stay healthy and you get on the road and you get old. So guys are saying, well, sh- how do you prove that to me? Well, I, we got to kind of trust each other here. Yeah. You got to give me a chance and you know, uh, we're not going to have you here and be unhappy. So let's see if this works out this way. This plan, this, uh, system is working pretty good. The, the talents were incentivized to stay healthy, to raise their game and to be booked, to be booked. And so, but that was a challenging piece of business, but you know, Mick, uh, five years was a long time. Sure. The only, I signed Mark Henry to a 10 year deal back in the day, in the beginning, right after we saw him dunk a basketball at the NBA all-star weekend at 400 pounds, uh, and he had an infectious smile. So he got it. He got it. He didn't get huge money. He got good money, but he got, he didn't, we didn't know how long it was going to take to get him ready. And so, you know, he got a 10 year deal and I don't think we've ever had at one time I had a 10 year deal. A lot of people don't even know that Vince was one of his good days. He liked Jr. <laughs> so I got a little, I got a little extra cheese in my Whopper. So it's all good. Greatest thing to ever happened to me is going to work there at that point in my career. It only took me 19 years to get there, Conrad. I was an overnight sensation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that, uh, Foley's locked in now, and it's amazing yep. to see how seemingly one thing happens and it affects so many other people. Uh, here's a great example for Foley here. Sean Michaels and Bret Hart get into a stay, uh, a fight in the backstage area. And Sean winds up walking out, citing unsafe working conditions at the time. Sean is a WWF tag team champion with Steve Austin. And now Steve Austin is left without a partner. And someone has the idea. What if we just had do love dude love step in for Sean Michaels. And of course the famous part of this story of the dude love character is. Sean asking Foley, is this sort of what you always imagined your character would be? And he said, no, I thought I would be more like you. And that's the dude love (laughs) idea. Hey, if we can't have the real Sean Michaels, let's get the next best thing. Dude. Love. They they look a lot alike. Yeah. Same, same (laughs) body types. (laughs) I like Uh, that, that substitution. And I don't know that it would have happened had Sean not walked out. Yeah. Uh, Nobody appreciated Sean walking out on the company. And I can tell you that Austin was not happy about him walking out on Steve. So, uh, it was just tumultuous times. And I have said this before. I may have said this in on part one of this podcast regarding Mick. The, the one of the reasons that I wanted to bring Mick into WWE was because I wanted his influence in our locker room. Yeah. I want to get away from the controversy and the personal bullshit and the ego and the insecurities, my God, it's long, it's latent and, and rampant enough in the business in general, but we had a lot of volatile personalities that always thought they're getting screwed. The office 
it's the office doing it. No, if you weren't such a dick and you're coming to work on time, you're doing your job, there'll be no issues. Right. And the thing about Foley Conrad is, and, and I'm sure you can relate to this in your, uh, ever growing and profitable mortgage business is that, you know, we knew that, that Mick was not going to be a malcontent. Right. Now, if he'd had an issue, he would address it, but he would, as I always talked about with Vince, you don't confront the old Irishman. You converse with the Irishman. If you converse with him, you got a better chance of getting what you're looking for as opposed to not. So, uh, but Foley, I think he got, he was looking for security. The five-year deal helped him. The five-year deal helped him and it may give you some security. You know, as we both know, Conrad, knowing Mick, I'm probably knowing a little bit better than you do. Of course. Uh, and I should have in that role, but you know, he was just, uh, he's a family guy. He truly is a family guy and he was looking for longer terms, more money, more guaranteed money, but he made great. You know, Mick made seven figures a year working for us. Wow. More often than not. That's big so money. So if you sign a guy for a 300, I say hypothetical, I don't even remember what it was. I'm guessing somewhere around. 300 grand or something downside, something like that. I'm guessing. So don't quote me on that one. Somebody will anyway, but, uh, but if you're making that all of a sudden now you're actually earning a mi- north of a mill, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. And, and we kept our word and you're going to make more money. You're going to just stay healthy and sane and, and, and become as great as you want to be. And you're going to make a whole lot more money. And so. Wins like that help me with guys like Jericho and Ray and some of these dudes. Hey, look, we're going to put you in a, an environment where you can grow. We believe you're a star. We're going to help you make a lot of money, but I can't guarantee you what you're getting paid by Turner. Let's, uh, let's keep it rolling here and talk about Canadian stampede. What a big show that was mankind's on it. He's again, working with Hunter Hearst Helms league. They go to a double count out, uh, 13 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, Jr. gets uh, a write up in the observer here. Uh-oh. Jim Ross had an unintentionally funny line when he said mankind weighed 287 pounds to be exact. And that's an estimate, which is <laughs> hilarious. Um, you know, it's a great finish or a great open, uh, because it's a lot of hot action, but. Uh, it's, it's a double count out. You hate to see sort of a non-finish, but this would go on to be one of the best pay-per-views of the year. Yeah. And of course, out of this pay-per-view is the storyline that Austin does not want a partner and keeps stunning people, mainly mankind who are trying to vie for the spot <laughs> and the groundswell for mankind at this point as babyface is building. And then on July 14th, we see the debut of the dude love character. What'd you think of the introduction of dude love? Loved it. Loved it. He, he made me feel good. It was a feel good character. Uh, and I knew how much fun Mick was having easy to tell. He had, he was, he was, he was rejoicing in his creative happiness. Uh, you know, so I thought it was great. I, I, I love, I love dude love. I think the dude love character was one of my favorites, quite frankly, because the defined line that separates cactus Jack from mankind is that a fine line. Some little nuances, whatever, maybe some, uh, uh, 
ring a tire, whatever it may be, subtle little things, but dude, love is a whole different trans transaction. You know, it's, it's like he played this, uh, this old hippie <laughs> that was always happy. Uh, like he had smoked a big blunt before he got out there <laughs> and, and that wasn't Mick. I mean, he'd make no drugs. I don't know if I've ever seen Mick have a drink of alcohol, quite frankly, I can't recall it. So, uh, but I, I like dude love and, and the, and the other thing that made dude love so good, uh, the presentation was frigging great. Uh, you know, the music was perfect. I thought Jim Johnson did some of his best work yes. in that regard. He's a guy that's often overlooked. I've seen on uh, different websites, you know, Jim Johnson should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. Couldn't yep. agree more. Yep. He had a whole lot to do with the image that was created by uh, some of the, some of these stars with his music. So I thought the music for Dude Love was also spot on. It's a feel good thing. It's a feel good thing, and the only thing you're kind of worried about, well, well, well. Mick Foley revert back to his natural habitat of being a deranged psycho. When's he going to turn and, and bust, bust this dude love mold. But I enjoyed that characterization a lot. My favorite going in, cause I didn't think we should change it, but that shows my lack of vision. I thought that, uh, uh, Mick should have been in the beginning cactus Jack period. Cause I was a mark for cactus Jack and the work that he did in that character, but man, he was, uh, and it showed his versatility. I didn't give him enough credit, I guess, but he, he created, he made something brand new out of us, a regular piece of clay. And, uh, and, and again, Conrad, he delivered, he came through. How, how much was, uh, Vince into this gimmick? We've seen footage, uh, for when you guys allowed the documentary crew backstage. We've seen footage of Vince attempting to te teach Mick the type of strut he wanted him to have. And it just feels like where maybe Vince has to have the cactus Jack character explained to him. He gets dude love. Yeah. Well, he, he, Vince is more emotionally invested in dude love than he was in cactus Jack because dude love was Vince's creation. Right. And he took full ownership of his creation and, uh, Therefore the beneficiary was Mick and the fans. So Vince helped that a lot. Uh, you know, helped that a lot, quite frankly, it was, he enjoyed, uh, he would cackle and laugh, <laughs> you know, those deals like Bruce last. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but I, I loved, uh, I love the fact that we, we converted McMahon. The Foley little, the little Foley team kind of converted McMahon. That's, I say little team. I think there are two of us. <laughs> Let's keep it rolling here and talk about the next big match. Of course, it's SummerSlam 97. Um, and, and mixed trajectory changes in many different ways. First, we're starting the show with mankind and triple H in the old blue cage. And boy, there is a major moment here in the middle of it. They go 16 minutes and 25 seconds, but very quickly we see China slam the door on mankind's head, but Lord, this is serious watching that, sh that shot back. 
Is that one of the more painful things we would see Mick do in 97? Yeah. And he, and he, he his poor ass brain was put in jeopardy. Uh, yeah, it was, but he looked, that was, that was him. And he wanted to be great for Hunter. Uh, he wanted to be great for Joni, China, uh, and obviously get himself over without a doubt. So, uh, yeah, that was brutal. That was brutal. And it also continued to help define the fact that triple H was a major player who had a violent and very distinguished mean streak. Everything you need to heal to have. You can believe in Triple H's aggressiveness and his toughness and his dangers, the danger feel. He had all that. Not Rodney Dangerfield, Conrad. Is he alive? No. Anyway, no nonetheless, I digress. He gets no respect. Well, let's talk about the finish of the match here. <laughs> Good. Very Mankind's nice. going to open his shirt, climb to the, uh, next to the highest rung of the cage and drops an elbow. Then he climbs out China runs back in. She's trying to drag Helmsley out. Mankind climbs over winning the photo finish and collapses to the floor. He lays on the floor until they play the dude love music, which revives him. He gets up, starts doing the strut to the back. Meltzer would say the match had its high spots and memorable spots. And in hindsight, it was very well laid out, but something was missing from the body of the match. And it wasn't just the crowd heat two and a half stars. It's a big moment because we're seeing, you know, the big heart on the chest. It's a cool little thing to see. What'd you think of the, uh, the execution here? I liked it. You know, I'm, uh, I don't want Meltzer might've been over-evaluating it. It might not have been a Japanese match that he's in love with oftentimes, especially in that era. Cause there are a lot of wrestling. People would say that the wrestling in Japan and especially in that era was the best in the business. And he, and it melts was a big devotee of that, uh, of that style and those athletes. So, uh, but I, I liked it. I thought it was fine. I didn't have any issues with it whatsoever. I don't know what he was expecting. And I, we knew that we probably could answer this better, but I, I thought those everybody delivered what they're supposed to deliver. Let's talk about, uh, later in the night, we know what happens. Steve Austin gets dropped on his head by Owen Hart. And as a result, we're going to have the end of the Austin dude, love tag team. What do you think the plans for that team would have been had Austin not been injured? If you could go back and armchair quarterback, it I've probably been a short-term, uh, uh Allegiance. I don't think, like you said, Austin really didn't want to be in a tag. Yeah. Steve had his Steve, Steve was challenging to manage. Sometimes you just had to understand him because he wasn't, uh, he didn't surprise you that often, quite frankly, he, but he had a certain thing, things he liked to do. And, and, you know, I told you the story before that he, we had TV in, uh, Southern California and then to prepare for raw the next day, which started at that time at five o'clock in the local time. So Vince, you know, I want you to put Steve on early. And so he can get to TV and rest, be ready to go big night for him on Monday. I said, all right. And, uh, I think this, oh yeah, I wanted to work with Mark Merrill. It was a heel, I think, uh, and 
and, and, and Steve, two things happen. Uh, I get a phone call. He doesn't want to, he won't, he don't want to go on in the middle of the card. Right. He doesn't give a shit about getting the TV early so he can sleep. Uh, doesn't care about that at all. And he went crazy about working with Marrow. Uh, so I changed the booking and put him with somebody else and, uh, put him on last. So the next morning when Vince is up, we're getting ready to go to TV. I think we're already out there because it's LA connected to LA. Vince said, what happened that Austin deal last night? I told you I wanted him going early and have a, have a real competitive match with Merrill. Well, there's, I said, there's two issues. One, uh, he didn't want to go on the middle of the card. And he was upset that he was being asked to go in the middle of the card. So I made the decision to keep him happy. And secondly, he didn't want to work with Mark Merrow. He didn't give me a specific reason. He just felt it wasn't right. Right. And that sometimes that's all he says. It's just not right. And he couldn't articulate it any better. Conrad, that's what he's, that's, that's what he felt. It wasn't right. So, so Vince said, you mean he didn't want to work with, he didn't, what's the mirror? I said, I don't know what the deal is. I was on the phone with him trying to talk him off the ledge. And, uh, so that the decision to do these things were mine. So if you're going to get hot at anybody, get hot at me, not Austin. My job is to get the talent happy and productive as happy as I can in a crazy ass business. And Vince got it. We, it, it was, it was dropped. And, uh, I'm sure he probably knowing Vince just to rib me, but I said, well, you know, Steve, I told Jr. you weren't going to like going on early, <laughs> but you know, he was just doing his best trying to look out for you. So, but yeah, I, 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 there's a lot of, you have a lot of those little picadillos, but I don't think the tag thing was going to last long. So since Austin's hurt at SummerSlam the night after SummerSlam at Monday night, raw, they have the guy who injured Austin Owen Hart take on Austin's tag partner, dude, love. And well, there's a bit of criticism from Dave Meltzer that week quote, since dude does none of the cactus mannerisms and crazy bumps, he wrestles like a second match guy. It was bad. Do you think Mick wasn't as invested in the dude love character? He was still trying to figure it out or did it not matter because he just needed a different style for each persona in your opinion? Well, I think that he was trying to figure it out because dude love was new. Yeah. What were going to be the distinct personality differences for dude over his other incarnations. But I think he's basically just figuring it out. Conrad, uh, you know, and, and, and I don't, sh- I'm not sure that Ben, uh, that, excuse me, that, uh, Mick knew how to be, or was motivated enough to be a traditional baby face. He sure as hell didn't look like a traditional baby face. Uh, he wasn't the ruggedly handsome eight by 10 guy, right? You know, so I think he's just still trying to figure it out. And, and again, you know, we, I mentioned this earlier, we're, fi- we're, we're, we're trying to figure this out. We're on, we're on a new course here. We weren't sure what the destination was eventually going to be, but we just kept trying to travel the same road, maintain some con- continuity and, and see if we could let him find himself in the dude love role. I enjoyed dude loves entrance. I enjoyed dude loves spirit and his feel goodness. 
but I was never as big a fan as with the bell to bell with dude, as I was with mankind or cactus Jack agree. That just was where Mick was the most comfortable as those other two guys and dude love was just an, Hey, look, Mick liked it. I'm sure because he got to sell a lot more merchandise and everybody was looking out how they can sell more merchandise. Everybody was following Austin's lead before that Hogan's lead and all those guys making a lot of money on merch. Next up, we've got uh, raw on August 11th, and, uh, it's an all time major main event in the history of raw. Rick rude debuts as the insurance policy and hits mankind with a chair to help Shawn Michaels defeat him. And what is going to become known as degeneration X. It's sort of interesting in hindsight, Mick is here for a lot of these major moments in raw history. Is he not? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of his peers were very always willing to work and to be unselfish with Mick because they liked him so much and they knew that he would do the same thing for them. So he was a very compatible person to, to, to book in that regard. Um, but that's just what you get when you get a guy that's like I said earlier, you want the guys like that in your locker room, right? You want guys like that Conrad talking to the young talent. Don't get too down about your push and all this other horse shit. Come on. Uh, and Mick was just a, a great uh, motivator. I think he took, took a lot of that from his father being a coach. And a teacher, he was an educator. And I think Mick took pride in that aspect of his game. Let's keep it rolling here and talk about, uh, the next week on raw. It's another milestone main event, longtime enemies, the undertaker and mankind team up to take on triple H and Shawn Michaels. And that leads to Shawn absolutely destroying the undertaker with a chair and taker is bleeding big time. This is, uh. It feels like raw is hitting a groove here in the summer of 97. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Fun to go to work every week. Fun to go to work every week because guys that were seeing like, you know, the DX thing, for example, just using that as one example, uh, they were getting a new lease on life. It wasn't like a road dog and Billy Gunn were two young kids. They'd been around, they'd paid their dues. They were skilled in ring performers but they were getting a fresh start with something that uh, had meaning and significance. So it was exciting to come to work because you, you fed off the excitement and, uh, and the passion of the talents who are having the time of their life and making a lot of money. Like we can't factor that out. They're making an awful lot of money, uh, in that, in that time period. So, uh, and when you get guys that are making a lot of money, you, you have two issues to deal with. One is they're happy. How do you keep them happy? That's important. And secondly, uh, you know, uh, the, they, they start worrying about when's it going to end. Right. It's in, it's inevitable. So, uh, you got to deal with that too. So if they're not booked, like they perceive they need to be booked on this TV or they perceive that this next job is going to hurt them in a, in a major way. Uh, you know, you got to deal with that stuff. And again, they still talking off the ledge uh, cliche again, but I enjoyed it, man. We were having so much fun and, you know, uh, we're allowed to some creative freedom. Lawler and I had some creative freedom, you know, 
there was, there was a time there where Vince is so involved in these new characters and getting all this stuff done that he was not in our ear incessantly. He got worse and some dealt with it and some couldn't. I was lucky enough that I could deal with it. Uh, and so I don't know how, how that is, is, but I've always said, you know, I was raised by a guy that was harder on me than Vince ever was. And he was my father. So I toughened up. Look, I'm making good money, man. It sure as shit beats, uh, hauling hay and cutting wood in Oklahoma, Eastern Oklahoma farm. I agree. Right. Yeah. So, uh, that's kind of how I approached it. I had love that time. Uh, it was so exciting to see the talents. It's funny, Conrad, in that era, we, we had very little tardiness of talents reporting to work. Yeah. Everybody wanted to be there. They wanted to be there. Didn't want to miss a damn thing. Yeah. And the earlier they got there, the earlier they had the opportunity to talk to a writer or Vince or whomever it may be about the creative. So, uh, you know, I, I, we had done a nice job in talent relations. I think of making sure that they were paid. Well, they're getting their fair share. Hell, even the referees are making more money than they ever made in their life. Right. The agents, you know, Jack Lenz has been there for frigging ever. This, these payoffs, are the best I've ever gotten since I've worked here. I took care of the referees and I took care of the agents and, and con and, and consequentially they went above and beyond to deliver and look, that's the simplest formula in the world. You know that you pay your people. Yeah. They're going to do good work for you. Yeah. It's not hard. Well, what is hard is, uh, vacating the tag team championships. And that's what stone cold and dude love have to do at ground zero. And here we'll see Austin cut one of his best promos ever on you and then give you a stunner. And according to the rumor and innuendo, you were supposed to be stretchered out here, but because Scott Putsky had legitimately gotten hurt earlier, the stretcher wasn't ready. Do you remember this? Uh, vaguely, I just figured if I'm going to go out on a stretcher, Vince is going to make sure somebody drops me. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a fat guy and a little coat. <laughs> fat guy on a stretcher. He's hit. He's going to the concrete. He's he's going down. Uh, yeah, that was a. Uh, I took one of the more ugly stunners that's ever been taken. I think there's some uglier ones. I mean, man, in the early days took some ugly stunners, but uh, nobody was on Rock's level. You know, Rock took a stunner better than anybody. And he took plenty of them. So yeah, that was just a, it was a way to communicate the unpredictability of the Texas rattlesnake. You never knew when he's going to strike. And I think I said this on TV years and years ago, uh, rattlesnakes don't make good corporate pets because he'll turn on anybody at any time that he feels motivated. And that led to the, the mystique a stone cold. You never know what somebody's going to do. Hell, he, he was stunning. Hell, he was stunning Lillian. Remember that? Yep. Uh, Divas were getting stunned. Having a beer with Stacey Keeler and go boom, down she goes. And the fans loved it. They loved the, the, his defiance and all that stuff. So, and that's kind of what we're trying to do with, with dude, uh, Conrad is to find out more about dude love or mankind or cactus Jack, because we had, we had to define all these characters and that was not easy without 
help with great production and so forth. So uh, I'm a, it's funny how you look back at these things and you, and you see how much, how often you're, you're uh, creating on the fly. Yeah. This got over. That's like, you know, you you mentioned earlier about the ovation that hangman Adam page got at double or nothing, right? Crazy. Yeah. Well, to me, that tells me that AEW can do a lot with hangman page. Yeah. People like him and they like his cowboy shit. They like him drinking a beer in the ring or whatever, you know, there's a little Austin esque. I get it, but what's he supposed to supposed to do? Drink milkshakes, right? Make mine strawberry, uh, or chocolate or vanilla. It doesn't matter as long as the milkshake, that's my weakness, man. I got to drive by the dairy queen every damn day. And I just got to look the other way. <laughs> I, I self-imposed intervention for the fucking goddamn milkshakes. Uh, anyhow, uh, yeah, that was, it, we kept answering, we kept being asked questions and trying to provide answers as we went along. And a lot of that was because of how the crowd was reacting. It took us, it, it got us pointed in the right direction. And, and Mick certainly was no exception to that. Well, we know what's coming next. It's a one-off, uh, mankind's going to go down to Amarillo, Texas to work. Terry Funk's wrestle fest. Supposedly this is, uh, Terry Funk's final retirement. Of course we know that's not <laughs> the case. He's going to be at the next WrestleMania in fact, but still, uh, mankind gets permission to come down to town and wrestle ECW Sabu. And yeah. obviously you're probably. Uh, making some decisions in this era, but anything that Terry Funk needs, no big deal. Right. That's right. No doubt. Whatever he needed to make a special night more special. Uh, Mick wanted to be a part of it. You know, Terry's mixed hero. And I'm not going to be the guy that says, well, you can't go celebrate your hero. Right. Uh, because that doesn't just affect Mick on that feeling and that emotion affects others in the locker room that have like feelings toward legends like Terry Funk. And I never talked to anybody that I can recall that for didn't have a Terry Funk story or didn't have a Terry Funk memory or experience or whatever. He's that, uh, iconic is Terry. And I, I Terry's one of the top four or five all time performers that I ever saw period. And I'm not trying to create more controversy. Who's the best this and who's the best that and all that bullshit. But you look at his track record and his tenure and the success he had as a NWA champion wrestling heel, as an NWA champion as a baby face at different parts of the, ge the geography fit. But then, you know, he could do either one well. So uh, I wasn't going to be the guy to stand in the way. I wasn't wild about uh, the booking. That's what Terry wanted. That's what we did because, and the reason I wasn't wild about the booking had nothing to do with Sabu it had the fact that dude, you got two very combustible, uh, unique talents that you've got to believe we're going to try to steal the show at every second that are booked and it might be too much. I mean, you know, I don't know how many chair shots you need to have to the head. How many more do you need? You know what I mean? You, you know, they're going to go the extra mile, but I had no issues with it. Vince didn't either. You know, it was. I'm sure we paid the trance. We got him down there. We did everything we needed to do. And I, and the, I don't know if there's even a payday involved. Big man worked that show for free. 
Wouldn't surprise me if we go back and look. Let's go to, uh, the next major moment for Mick. It's September 22nd, 1997. This is a very famous Monday night raw. Just to add context, to what you were talking about guys are making their biggest checks ever, even the referees and the agents, but this is the famous date where Vince waits to talk to Brett before the show, Brett shows up late and Vince doesn't have much time, but needs to clearly convey. I can't honor that contract. I gave you 11 months ago. So see if you can get your deal back from WCW. So it's the tale of, uh, you know, two worlds here. It's the best of times, the worst of times, bad news for Brett. Great news for Mick Foley. He's not dude love here. He's not mankind here. We see the debut of cactus Jack in the WWF. It's the first time the company has ever ran Madison square garden for a Monday night raw. And there's so much history here. This is also the episode where Austin stuns Vince McMahon and he gets arrested. It's a major Monday night raw and somehow cactus Jack is involved. How did you guys get the green light on cactus Jack? Uh, Vince liked it. We wanted something different for the garden. Vince has always treated the garden like it's a church. And I got no problem with that. Uh, you might not see McMahon in a real church, but he, he worshiped the opportunities to be in the garden. And I think that's all because of his respect for his father. The garden was the house that, uh, Vince, Vincent, uh, Jay McMahon, you know, he became made it famous. One of the people that made it famous, not the only guy, but one of the people, I mean, Bruno San Martino did as much as any wrestling person ever did to draw attention to the garden. But, uh, something that we needed something new, something that, oh, look at this. And, and we already realized too, that, that people knew who cactus Jack was, it wasn't gonna be like a cold match. Right. So I, I, uh, I think that's that I remember that I remember that show. That was a great crowd too. We talked about the crowd at double or nothing, how wonderful they were, how they made the show. Yeah. And I truly believe that they did. And we'll always be indebted for that experience. I loved it. Uh, last night as we record this, but, uh, it was special for Mick, you know, he, the garden was special for him too. You know, he's where you saw Morocco do the, get snooker, do the, the big, uh, splash off the top of the cage, all those things. He had hitchhiked to get there, you know, finagle tickets somehow or another cheap seats or wherever it may be. Uh, so it was special for everybody. And I can tell you, Conrad, for me as a fan. And, and a, a devotee of all the old wrestling magazines over the years, uh, to be able to do raw in the garden for me, was extraordinarily special. Still is to this very day. I'm a sports fan and the garden was, you know, it was the world's most famous arena for, for a good reason, boxing, wrestling, hockey, hoops, the Knicks, all that stuff. So, uh, special day. And I'm so we did something to make it more special, Conrad. That makes sense to you. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I know what you're saying. All right. What I'm saying. I love when you do that. Hey, by the way, uh, cactus Jack here gets an ECW champ from the crowd, which is still fascinating to me in 97. Of course, cactus has taken a bunch of crazy bumps, but the big one that everybody still plays back is the pile driver through the table. It's a table. Unlike any other you've ever seen in wrestling. Perhaps the most gimmick table of all time. Uh, but still, 
Uh, Jack gives him a low blow and a pile driver. And that's it. 12 minutes, 29 seconds. We've all known that Vince never had an interest in cactus Jack, but if you were new to the character, you had to be on board after seeing it here. Yeah, it was, he delivered. He got the ball. He got his play call. He got his, he got another number on his Jersey. Boom. Go in there in the garden. You're your home away from home, Mick and have fun. And he, and again, he, he, and the biggest moments that are pivotal when you go back and look at them, like we're doing today, like we do every Thursday, uh, on this show, it made it special. He, Mick Foley has a specialness about him that can't be replicated by a booker or a creative staff or a writer. He, he has it and you can't manufacture the it factor. And, and he always had that competitive drive to want to be the star of the show. The star of the show makes the most money. And to tell you without taking some of the luster and the, and the shine away from Mick, the money was always a big motivator for him. And why wouldn't it be? Yeah. Um, you pointed out on the uh, biography this past weekend that Mick loved being three characters because, Hey, that means three action figures. And <laughs> I just thought the quote there was so great because as you said, it is all about the bottom line and now he's going to have, you know, three times the shelf space. Good for him. Yep. And, and three, and three shirts Yeah, and three foam fingers or whatever the hell it may be, but, uh, three entries on his royalty check. And that was important. Those quarterly royalty checks were much anticipated by the guys when they started understanding that if I promote my products, I got a better chance of selling them. Cause as we said here on the show, my granny taught me years ago in her little grocery store in Westville, Oklahoma, uh, you can't sell goods out of an empty wagon. So he always loaded his wagon with promotion. He got it and he was happy to do it. And, uh, and it worked out for him. He got some massive royalty checks over the years. You know, we, um, we don't often talk about this, but we were supposed to see Brian Pillman versus dude love at bad blood. But of course we know Brian passed away the night before. Yeah. How hard on, on, on Mick was this, you know, you're supposed to be working with him and now your old pal from WCW he's gone. That's gotta be a, I can't imagine. Well, it was hard on all of us, yeah. not just Mick, you know, it wasn't just poor me, Mick, it was everybody. I mean, Brian was very polarizing. Uh, it was feast or famine with Brian, with a lot of guys, a lot of guys, uh, uh, were put off by Brian at times because of just the way he positioned his character and how he represented it. But most guys, I, I the, the majority of the guys. I'd say maybe even the vast majority, they were, they love Brian. Brian's a man's man. He was funny, athletic, tough little bastard. Uh, and he loved it. He loved pro wrestling. And so I think we're all affected by it, but certainly, and Mick would have been affected maybe in a little different way because that was going to be a major match at this pay-per-view that never happened. So, uh, it was a sad day. Obviously we've talked about this sad day. And, uh, I thought the, uh, dark side presentation of Brian's, uh, career was excellent. Uh, to see his, his aunt 
and, and, and little Brian, you know, I, I got a lot of time for Brian Pillman Jr. I think he's going to be a big star. Just, he's got to remain patient, continue to get better. I like that team of Pillman and Garrison, the, uh, the blondes. So, uh, nice tribute to his dad too. the name of the team, the blondes. <clears throat> so, but I think everybody was Conrad. Sometimes it's so hard, man. It's hard to get through it. It's hard to talk about it. Even all these years later, but I'm sure Mick had a profound effect. Mick was a soft hearted guy. Mick saw a father taken from his family, taken from his children. And that would affect Mick as much as the match being postponed on a pay-per-view. Let's do the, uh, the discussion of bad blood because the main event that night that does happen is undertaker and Shawn Michaels in the very first hell in the cell. And we saw in the biography just this past weekend that for weeks leading up to the King of the ring match in a hell in the cell in June of 98, Mick is pestering Mark with, Hey, I want you to throw me off the cage. Uh, and he continues to get shut down. How, how early do you think Mick had that spot in mind? I mean, does he see a structure like that the first time and think, what if, of course. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he sees a structure like that for the first time, first time it had been used and started picturing himself in it. And what could I do in this moment? If I'm in a hell in a cell master taker, that will create an everlasting memory. And he went way to the extreme and, uh, and the bump over the, off the top of the cage, Conrad, I still have people that tweet me at JRSBBQ, or I see them in an airport now or wherever that they talk about that all the time. Yeah. Still talked about the bump off the cell. If I had, I would have screwed up history. Cause I, if it had been solely up left to me, it would have never happened. The risk reward is too finite. How do you get up from that? How do you not break something? How do you not destroy body parts? Something's got to give here. You don't learn to do this in wrestling school. It's just, uh, I would have said, no, if the risk is too high and based on the risk reward ratio, but I'm glad I didn't have the vote on it. I didn't know he was going to do the damn thing. That's what was beautiful about it. I had no idea that spot was even in the match. So. I, and at the end of the day, I guess it worked out good. I mean, we're all talking about it, talking about it today in, in 2021, this is 1998. So it's, it was pretty cool, but I, it was ill-advised. And, uh, I know what Vince after it was over, after he gave Mick a little love said, you know, we're, we're not, we're never doing this, something like this again, whether that is accurate or not, as time moved on, I don't know. Uh, I could make some arguments that, well, there was, maybe there's a few exceptions, but not with Mick on in the cell. So how do you, you just can't follow it, man. You can't follow it. And, uh, it's just too dangerous. Jesus Christ is too dangerous. Well, let's talk about survivor series. 97 mankind's job is to get Kane over as a legit monster in Kane's very first pay-per-view match. Here it is from the observer Kane pin mankind in nine minutes and 29 seconds. They turned the house lights off for this match. So Kane's gimmick is that he's wrestling in the dark, trying to get across the idea. It's in the bowels of hell. 
Mankind did an excellent job of carrying him by taking big bumps on the steps. Kane worked as a monster most of the way until the finish. When he took one big bump, mankind then pile drove him and put the claw on Paul bear. Kane got up, throws mankind off the apron, taking the nest. He plunged through a table. This table breaking was great. The first time they did it on pay-per-view, but it's becoming a monthly thing. Now mankind came back using a double arm DDT on the floor and did the hip shattering elbow off the apron. He went to the top rope, but Kane got up and slammed him off the top onto the floor. Mankind got up, crawled into the ring and was given a tombstone pile driver for the pin three stars. Boy, he is pulling out all the stops here for Kane. Is he not just like he did for everybody? Conrad team guy, you know, Glenn Jacobs was another guy, much like Kane that was beloved in the locker room, respected a real pro. And, and Mick felt it was his duty and it really, it was his duty to make Kane's debut on pay-per-view look as, as good as it did. And Mick took pride in that. He took pride in helping advance these guys. And if more guys in today's world were unselfish as Mick was back then, uh, they'd realize, a, a a much better career, quite frankly. So, uh, yeah, it was, a. Uh, Mick was always the right guy to put with, you know, we tried to make you know, Hunter got made a lot by Mick, you know, Glenn Jacobs gets his big win by Mick undertaker at the hell of a cell via Mick. That's just the guy fully is. And that's why he'll always be treasured in my mind as one of the all-time greats, simply because he was always a team player who rose to the occasion each and every time he was out there to make his opponent look better than they were. Chat me up about what they were doing for Kane here on his first pay-per-view match, making the lights red. Does it affect you as an announcer too gimmicky? What'd you think? It didn't affect me. It was nice the first time. Cause it was different, but it's not something I would want to see on a regular basis. I thought it did become somewhat too gimmicky. And, uh, that's almost oxymoronic to say something in pro wrestling is too gimmicky based on the nature of the beast. Uh, but I thought it might've been a little too gimmicky, but nothing that I hated the first time I'm cool with it. I just don't think we wanted to do that on going forward. All Kane's matches just didn't, this didn't seem to jive for me. Let's talk about, uh, the fallout from survivor series. Of course, this is later that night, the Montreal screw job and famously Mick decides not to show up to work the next two days. Of course, in this era, they would do one live Monday night raw and then tape the next week. Foley's not at either set of tapings. Did you talk to uh, Foley about coming back to work or was that a Vince call? I knew that he wasn't coming, coming, going to be a TV. He told me he was up front. He just didn't no show, not talk to anybody. Right. That makes for a better story for podcasting. Oh, he didn't come. He didn't show up very unfoley like blah, blah, blah. I knew that he wasn't going to be there. He told me that. He was very upset. He had like a lot of guys, you know, had a, a great respect for Bret Hart. Why wouldn't you? Uh, one of the all time greats, no doubt about it. Loved his work. Never saw a bad Bret Hart match ever. I never heard of Bret Hart hurting anybody. Consummate pro. So Mick was upset of, of how that went down. And, uh, he told me, he said, I, I gotta go home. I gotta sort this out. I don't know what that meant. 
well, what's that mean, Nick? You got to sort it out. You got to decide if you're going to stay in the business. You've got a big contract here. You're making a lot of money, but that shows you his decency. I guess he was willing to perhaps even jeopardize his money and his status and his contract, et cetera, et cetera, because of a somewhat soft protest over what occurred to Brett. So, uh, I got it, but we weren't, it was not a deal where I don't think there was ever a situation where we had, uh, regrets for Mick, Mick's sensitivities and his, his way he approached world, the world and his life. We love that trait. So why now penalize him for that same trait? So he goes home for a couple of days, misses a couple of Raws and, you know, ironically, the world continued to revolve <laughs> raw continued to air on Mondays and Mick was, uh, was, was better off that he got to go home and kind of sort things out and clean things, clean out of his head, uh, than if he had been coming to work. So, and, and I had no issues with it. I really did. I know it's, uh, I'm old school and a hard nose sometimes and cranky and all that shit, which is true. I'll fully admit. But I like doing things the right way. And I thought this is the right thing to do based on the human being that we hired. Let him go. And Vince had no issues with it whatsoever. And if Vince said, if the others want to go, JR, there's no harm, no foul. If they want to go home and sort through this stuff or whatever, let them. We'll have TV with whomever's here. We can make that happen because Vince had the most powerful weapon in all of pro wrestling the old eraser. Somebody goes up, somebody's out, they're not available, but somebody else in the game. And as we mentioned earlier, you, you brought it up about the guys are making a lot of money and this is an opportunity to step in and play on a flagship program because you were at work. So I, I just didn't, I thought it was a, a little bit much to do about nothing, not the Brett thing, not the Brett screw job, Montreal screw job deal, but the, the, the aftermath of that. Uh, didn't see it being a huge deal, quite frankly, talents are showing their respect and their appreciation for Brett, the Hitman Hart. And if anybody deserves that, certainly Brett does. Let's talk about, uh, when he does return, he's coming back as dude love and on TV, the new age outlaws are going to destroy him after he pins Billy Gunn in a one-on-one -on -one match. This is obviously the beginning of an angle with the new age outlaws. Uh, but some folks online are worried. What is the future of Foley here with the company? And since he was out in protest and he's back and, and getting double teamed like this, a lot of people are wondering, was he sending feelers out on the WCW side of things? Did you ever worry that, Hey, this might be the straw that broke the camel's back. He's ready to move on. Well, how's he going to move on Conrad with signing a five-year extension? How's that going to work? He, 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 where's he going to go? You're under contract. You committed. We're paying you. We're paying you a lot of money. You're being booked a lot. You know, all these pay-per-views we've talked about here today. He got paid for all those, by the way, I sure. got paid good. So I don't know where he would have gone. Uh, so no, I don't think there was any apprehension. The apprehension was simply let's get him past this and refocused on doing his work. If you need a week or two or a month, whatever, we're going to give it to you. But after, after, 
after missing two days of TV, he's back at work, but that's what he needed at that time. So I, I thought it worked. I thought it worked out as good as it could under the very uncomfortable situation. Well, next up, Mick gets hurt at a, uh, TV taping. It's a rib injury and we're not going to see him for a few weeks, but he does come back right at the very end of the year, December 29th. He's going to do the whole transform interview again, where dude love goes to mankind and then back to cactus Jack. It gets a huge pop at the Nassau Coliseum and he's going to beat the hell out of the new age outlaws, which leads to chainsaw Charlie debuting by cutting his way out of a wooden box. Of course, as, uh, Jim Cornette has told us anybody who comes out of a box is instantly over. Uh, <laughs> but what's fascinating again, it. you know, Put him in a box. Late summer, you guys let him go work Terry Funk's retirement show. Late December, Terry Funk's back in the WWF. Just par for course for Terry, right? Yeah. But here's a question I would ask people that had tried to overthink that deal. So you, you're trying to convince me this bad to have Terry Funk in your locker room. Of course not. God, that's like saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to bring Pete Rose in. He's got a little checkered pass, but some of his nose out of it. <laughs> and he's going to be able to be in our dugout in our, our clubhouse. And, and we're going to have inevitably players are going to ask him hitting tips, uh, you know, and I think that's what we were with Terry, at least I was always looking to play it forward and trying to get the, the knowledge out of these dudes. So these young guys can, can draw upon it in some regard. So, and chainsaw Charlie was just another character, which meant another set of action figures, which meant another set of more shirts, whatever it may be. So, uh, and they needed to work and, and you know, why not to me is easy hire. I mean, you know, and, and Vince. Agreed. And, you know, Terry did a nice job, uh, with us as chainsaw, Charlie and Terry Funk's a treasure. He's one of the most amazing individuals I've ever been in the wrestling business. Uh, how good he was in those guys. You can look back on Conrad. that were the territory champions that were the NWA champion type thing when the territories were existing. Uh, I got so much respect for those dudes. So Terry on the road would be a baby face in some territories would be a heel in others, depending on who he was wrestling. And he delivers every single damn time. And that's a hard job because you're never home. You sacrifice all that home life and time, your children, wife, whatever it may be. So, uh, but Terry's incredible. I mean, he's there. There should never be a wrestling hall of fame anywhere in the world without him. In my opinion. He would be what you would build a hall of fame roster around a guy like Terry Funk and his brother, Dory, for that matter, my brother, Dory Conrad, will come to the goddamn Alabama and whip your ass. So anyway, I, I uh, I'm a, I'm a, as you can tell, I'm a Terry Funk Mark. Sorry. Unabashedly. We've got, uh, we've got to talk about how excited Foley must've been. He's tag teaming with his longtime wrestling hero. Yep. You know, here he was, I don't know, five weeks after he was upset with the way things went down in Montreal. And now he's teaming with his, his hardcore icon. So I didn't overreact in the Montreal deal because I figured it, how it might come out knowing Mick as I did. Yeah. 
and it didn't work out that way. He needed some time to think everything through about what he had witnessed yeah. and how it may or may not affect his career or his mindset, his presentation. And you give him the time. And when we, when we got him back, he was like, you said, he was ready to go. And he did. And it was nice that when you lose a friend like Bret Hart from the locker room and someone that has great leadership skills and is beloved by his own, by his own peers. Uh, one nice thing about this deal is you nicely good catch there is the fact that Mick was, uh, reunited with Terry and the, and you know, that's going to make him happy. So that's kind of how we looked at it anyway. Let's mention that, uh, we've got a big show coming next week. We're going to be talking about Magnum TA. Uh, Love that. What, what did happen? What could have happened? Uh, it's gotta be one of the great what ifs in professional wrestling history. And Tony Schiavone and I have been watching him week by week through 1986. And I'm about convinced he's one of the strongest promos in the business at that point. He's so believable. Yeah. And a lot of people thought he was the heir apparent to the world championship. And we're going to be talking about him next week, but before we get out of here, we've got some fan questions about mankind's 1997. Good. Let's jump into it. The Rosen okay. wants to know. What was it about the dude love character that prevented it from having a more significant run on TV that year? I felt like the vignettes fully shot leading to the big reveal where we get the reveal, but then it's shortly tucked away again to be mankind. Do you think dude love was a flop? I don't think dude love was a flop, but it wasn't as strong as mankind or cactus Jack. So we invested a TV time of the stronger of the three. You can't give all three characters equal, uh, presentation representation, at least that's my take on it. So you have to prioritize somehow. And I think most people would say, even though I admitted myself, I love dude love, but, uh, Mick's strongest personas were not dude love. And that's kind of how that worked out. Uh, here's another one from Tennessee Hutch. We get introduced to two new personas of Foley's in 97. Why was cactus Jack, the right persona to team with chainsaw Charlie? Dude love may have been an odd pairing, but why not mankind? Could mankind have worked instead? Of course it would have. Yeah. Yes, it would have uh, Tennessee. It would have worked, but that's not the call that was made. That's not the play that was run. Uh, and I think cactus Jack had that cult following the, the, like you said earlier, Conrad, the, the EC dub, EC dub, uh, chance in the garden and ECW's backyard, uh, just further testament that cactus Jack was cactus Jack, probably at the end of the day, Conrad, and this is an arguable assumption by me. Cactus Jack was the strongest of the three Foley characters yeah, in my view. I agree. And I love mankind. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, if you have to prioritize TV time and creative investments, things of that nature, somehow or another, you've got to put the right amount of time in the right character. And dude love just drew the third straw, but to say he wasn't a failure or was he a flop? Hell no, he wasn't a flop, but he's competing with himself. Mixed present representation of cactus, Jack and mankind just for stronger in the eyes of the decision makers, namely the old man, Vince McMahon, that, uh, we're going the right direction. And I totally agree with that. Uh, here's one last question. And then we'll wrap this week's up. Uh, Aaron wants to know, or I'm sorry, Andy wants to know 
Do you think that much of Foley's work in this era gets overshadowed because of his King of the ring 98 showing while it's great. He's being celebrated. A lot seems to be missing from just how great Mick was. I think that's an excellent point. You and I have talked a lot about how in recent years, I've started to appreciate more and more that Foley should be in that Rushmore conversation because he was great as a commissioner. Uh, he was great. Uh, as, as cactus Jack, he was great as mankind. He was great as Mick Foley. He, he, he's written all these books. He's, uh, he's done one man shows. I mean, he is a Renaissance man of wrestling. And, no and I think when people talk about his career, a lot of it just gets boiled down to remember that time he got thrown off the cage. Yeah. Uh, and, and it almost feels like how, and you and I've talked about this a little bit, but anytime I see James Gandolfini and anything else, I'm like, I don't believe it because he's right. Tony Soprano. Bingo. He, he did Tony Soprano so well that I won't accept him any other way. And I almost feel like in hindsight, we forget about everything else that Gandolfini did. And I almost wonder if that's the case for Foley. And it's just all about King of the ring and hell in a cell. As much as I love, uh, James Gandolfini's work on, uh, uh, on the Sopranos, a big, big Sopranos fan. The first thing when I got my iPad and when someone showed me how to download content, you know, it's so we first, I get the music app. You gotta have that. Then you gotta subscribe. You know, all, drag this click there, you know, subscribe here, add your password, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the first thing I downloaded video wise was two things. I understand. I did them on the same day. One was the Sopranos entire run and Deadwood yeah. entire run. I'll swear engine. Yeah, I love Al swear engine. You cocksucker. <laughs> sorry, folks. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. But I, but those guys, and I've seen, I've seen, uh, Al Swearingen, uh, in, in many, uh, incarnations yeah. since, and I, my mind goes directly to Al Swearingen. Of course. Uh, Ian McShane and my, one of my good friends, Earl Brown played Dan Doherty is heavy and I'll. I'll put up Dan Doherty's fight with the major or whoever he was, the Colonel, whoever, whatever the big, big hit man for the, for the, uh, oil of the, uh, gold guy, the, the, the Gerald McCraney's uh, heel character, which is great. But when I see, uh, that was one of the best best fights ever on television. You know, I always revert back to my old, old school deal where John Wayne had that classic fight in the quiet man with Victor McLaughlin. Yeah, but, but the fight with, uh, uh, out with uh, Dan Doherty and the big bastard, uh, you know, was just is great. And I, and I, like I said, Earl and I are good buddies. Earl's a big wrestling fan originally from Kentucky. So he saw a lot of, a lot of wrestling, a lot of territory wrestling. And he'll tell you that some of the psychology of that fight came from watching pro wrestling. That's cool. Yeah, it's pretty, it is cool. And he's a good guy. He's always, we keep in touch still and Earl's staying busy. Good dude. See, I think that if we ever do a movie on under the black hat, which is still being discussed seriously, uh, where they've got some people engaged to ready to go director, uh, writers, all that stuff. It's getting closer. Uh, I thought Earl would be a great, have a, could have a good role in that movie in some way. 
don't know if he plays Jr. or not, but you know, somebody's going to, uh, the funny thing about that deal, not to digress too far, the, the real charm of that casting and the movie people is Jan. Yeah, of course. She's got a key role in this book. If you haven't read under the black hat, it's a love story according to a lot of folks. So I hope it makes it to the big screen at some point in time or a showtime special or what have you. But, uh, I, I enjoy the work of those dudes, but Mick was that way. How do you, I don't know which, I don't know how you, I, I totally disagree that he was, I don't want to say forgotten or since something seems to be missing on how great he was. See, I never looked at him that way. I've been there since day one. So I don't, I don't have that same uh, feeling. And unlike a lot of fans, just because our opinions are, are, are different. Doesn't mean you're an idiot. It just means you and I don't have the same opinion, but if I'm a classy guy or try to be a professional, I, I shouldn't disregard your opinion. It's as good as mine. It's just different sometimes. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know? So it's all good. We all know who the greatest college football program is in the world. Oklahoma. Oh gosh. So see there, see there, I got to dis- I got, you disagreed with me I did, and I'm not mad at you for it. What else would you say? You say exactly Alabama, of course, and more people would agree with that than my, uh, fanboy theory of it's all Oklahoma all the time, including my coffee mug. Chat me up. Do see people just sort of gloss over Foley's efforts in, in this time period and strictly talk about the cage match. They shouldn't, but a lot of them do because the cage match was so sensational. The hell in a cell you're referring to, uh, I think, uh, yeah, no, I think, I think I don't, it's hard to, it's hard not to think about the hell in a cell in 19 June of 1998, because it's, it's embedded into the minds of fans globally. You know, we've done, you know, when you and I were in, uh, the UK, yeah, we did three shows over there and they're all very successful. Thank God. Knock on wood. Uh, but I got those questions every night. What did you think when you saw Foley golf? Did you know, or how'd you prepare? Did you have something written that you were going to say? Shit. No, I didn't have anything written. I didn't know they were going to do it. So what you heard was real in that respect. And that's what made, I think my contribution small as it may be effective was because you heard real Jr. and I wasn't working you. I did. Okay. I'll say this. You say that good bullshit. That's not how you broadcast. So, uh, anyway, that's how I look at that deal. But uh, no, I, I think you can't judge Mick just off of 1998 Hell in a Cell massive bump. He's too good for that. But that bump was so monumental and so significant that how do you forget it? Right. How do you not factor it into anything you want to talk about Foley? Well, next week we're talking all about Magnum TA, but we hope this weekend you're going to be talking about jrsbbq.com because you guys right now are delivering a couple of different great sauces. You got main event mustard. You got Chipotle ketchup, something for everybody over at jrsbbq. Am I right? Yes, sir. You know, and we, uh, I I'm tasting it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to taste it today. Uh, Omaha steak sent me a great package, which I really appreciate. I'm sure you got one too. I love Omaha steaks. They've never disappointed me on one order. And so I'm going to use our new seasoning. 
Ooh. We're, we're, we're test driving a new seasoning and, uh, I got two bottles of it here sent, sent to me. Uh, and so I'm going to cook, I'm going to use it in two or three different ways this week, this week, you know, it could be burgers, steaks, whatever it may be chicken. Uh, so that's almost ready to be once I sign off on it and I got to eat it first, I got to make sure it's what we want or what I want. And I'm picky that, uh, so we'll be getting that to launched. I'm saying within the next two or three weeks, and then we won't be out. We were ha- we were having trouble keeping it in the stock because it's, it's a great product is you, you sung its phrases many times, but, uh, just the manufacturer, uh, could keep up and the COVID scenario really affected them more than a lot of our manufacturers. So the, the, uh, the seasoning is going to be, uh, uh, it's being tweaked a little bit, not much. Uh, and I want to be able to eat with it and say, it tastes exactly like the original. So, and that's kind of where we are. I wanted to make it a little bit healthier. I thought it might have, uh, I don't want to have too much salt content. Yeah. There's a science behind this bullshit, quite frankly. And, uh, I'm feeling my way through it, but that's good. Uh, we found those cookbooks. I think we sold them all. Oh, good for you. I, I, yeah. I signed a bunch of them this weekend, uh, during, during, uh, downtime. Uh, so it's, uh, business is good. It's the grilling season is here for you guys. Like you and me, we grill year round because we love it. Yeah. It's healthier eating. You're not deep frying or frying this. And even though I ain't going to pass down a pass up a something fried like catfish or something, but I can fry some catfish and I can use that seasoning on it. And I got a whole new, I got a whole new ball game. So jrsbbq.com is where all that's at. Uh, we're doing, we, we got some new, uh, work with a uh, box of gimmicks and got some really cool. I mean, really high level, uh, mule mugs, mule glasses, cups, the 10 cups, and they're beautiful. So we're, we're taking, we're taking orders, pre orders for those now. And that's a really neat deal. So it's just kind of fun to, you know, do some things. I got a new t-shirt design. I sent it out on Twitter. It says Slavenocker AF. And I think that's going to be a seller. It's different. And, uh, people are disappointed seemingly, but I can change that. The colors are not, uh, crimson and cream like the Sooners and the crimson tide. Uh, there it's a little different color scheme. So we're having fun right now, Conrad, and people are, are finding us. It's funny how you, we find that people don't always automatically know where we are, who or who we are, what we got to sell. So I simply say, look, it's jrsbbq.com and it is, uh, cost nothing to look. So log on, take a look and, and let us help you. And uh, we'll promise good customer service and we promise a good product. And we promise to get all these shows we're talking about early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. And, uh, we're excited about bringing you next week's episode on Magnum TA right here on grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Thanks Conrad. Thank you guys for tuning in. We really appreciate you. Your support's overwhelming. Makes me feel better about being a, in this business every day. So uh, we appreciate you have a great week. And Conrad, I'll talk to you next Thursday morning. Looking forward to it right here on Grill and JR. 
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.